All right, good morning again. How is everybody? Good. Well, listen, uh, whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us um, online, here's what I hope happens today. Um, I hope that you are inspired to walk in more faith and trust in Jesus today than you had yesterday. And even better, um, I hope that you're inspired to walk in more faith and trust with Jesus tomorrow than you have even today. And if that's what you want, uh, then you have found your people. Uh, because no matter who you are or where you are, uh, we are a church for you. And so that's what we hope happens today. Now, uh, like Amy said, I do have one more announcement, and it's about Father's Day. Right, Father's Day is coming up on June 20th, and here's what we're going to do to celebrate Father's Day here at Fellowship Asheville. Uh, we, like, y'all have heard of dad jokes, right? Right, well, something you may not know uh, uh, about me is on Sunday mornings, whenever we test the mic, whenever I'm testing my mic, um, instead of just standing up here and saying, test one, two, three, test one, two, three, I do that some, but I actually love to tell jokes instead. Uh, and to particularly tell dad jokes, the cheesy, the funny, the dad jokes. So here's what we're going to do for Father's Day. Um, uh, I want to grab a collection of dad jokes. And so here's what I want you to do. Um, there will be awards given for the funniest dad joke and the cheesiest dad joke, right? And then we may give another reward just for the fun of it, right? So, so, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to send me a video of you telling the dad joke, right? Now, dads, this is your moment, right? And here's why I want to see video. Delivery is important, right? I want you to deliver this thing like a rock star. So, so take a video of yourself telling the dad joke. Like pick your very best one and send it to me and email it to me at the email that Amy said, fred at fellowshipashville.com. Um, uh, and, 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 and if you can't, figure out how to video yourself and email it to me, let your child do it, right? Let them video it, let them send it to me, they will take care of it, right? But, but if that's still too much, then you can just type out the, the joke and email it to me. But if I choose it as one of the top ones, I'm going to ask you to video it anyway, and I may have you just come in and I'll video you and, and, and get it, because I want to show it on Sunday morning. I want us to see uh, these dad jokes as a way to, to celebrate Father's Day. Now, you don't have to be a dad to tell a dad joke. You can also tell your favorite dad joke or a joke that your dad told you. So, so, so it's not just for the dads. This is a celebration of fatherhood. So, Here's the deal. Y'all, I want to be laughing for the first 20 days of June, right? So send me those dad jokes, all right? Are we good? Y'all do not sound convinced. <laughs> Trust me, this will be great. So send me those dad jokes, all right? Now, go ahead and open your Bibles to, to Nehemiah chapter 2. Um, and if you don't know a good joke, ask Siri on your phone. They'll, they'll, you can. You can say, I'm not going to say it because then he will, but say so you tell me a joke, and you get a joke. All right. As you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 2, let me ask you this question. Uh, who out here are my list makers? Who loves to make a list? Yeah, I do too, right? I love to make a list. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you a little secret that will revolutionize your list making. It has revolutionized mine. As I've shared this with people, it's revolutionized their list. Because here's the deal with list makers. We love to check things off our list, don't we? So here's what I do. The very first thing I put on my list is make a list. Right? And here's what's brilliant about it. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes there's stuff on my to-do list that just can't get done. If I start off with make a list, when I make my list, I can check one thing off. And like, there's a certain amount of success that comes with that, right? And a certain amount of of feeling good, right? Now, for those of you who aren't list makers, um, uh, you know, well, those of you who are, this seems like great advice, right? Like you are already thinking about your list today and you're gonna add, make a list on there, right? But some of you aren't list makers, right? Like, you don't want to make a list. That's the last thing you want to do. But whether you're a list maker or you're not a list maker, here's what I think um, we all have in common. And what I think we all have in common is that we all have a plan. Now, some of us have a plan to make a list, and some of us have a plan not to make a list, but we all have a plan. And so maybe your plan is to make a list, or maybe your plan is to live life without making a list. But, but we all have a plan for what we want to accomplish day. We all have a plan for what we want to accomplish, accomplish in, your, in your day, your week, your month, even your year. Like we, we have a plan for what we want to accomplish, right? And there's something true of all of our plans. And it's this. It's our plans expose our ambitions, right? Your plan exposes your ambitions. Your plans expose what you want to do in life. They expose what you want to get out of life. Your plans expose your ambitions. If you need rest, then you plan to take a nap or you plan a vacation. If, if, if you need money, right, then you plan a budget or you plan for, for financial success. You create a plan. If you need prestige and power, you make a plan to get that promotion at work. We, we, we all have plans. You make a plan for what you want to do. Well, today, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see how your plans line up to God's plan, right? Because as we go through Nehemiah, we're, we've been talking about godly success, Right? And, and I think we need to see what godly success is as we talk about this whole idea of rebuilding. So, so, so what is godly success? Because here's the deal. Jesus talked about godly success. He talked about success. He had this guy, this, 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 one of the Jewish leaders came up to, to Jesus and asked him this question. He said, what is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, what's behind this question is, hey, if we had to whittle the law down to one, to one thing, to make sure that I'm a success, what would it be? And so this guy's asking, what do I need to do to be a success? And here's what, here's what Jesus says in, in Matthew 22. You can look up on the screen. He says this, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest, this is the great and first commandment. And the second, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments depend uh, all the law. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so, godly success—the success that we talked about last week—and and we'll talk about it this week. And we're going to talk about it next week too. That that this success is seen in, in, in these verses. That 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 it's it's seen in our approach to this entire series. The answer to our question: What is is godly success? What do I do to be a success? Actually, isn't seen first in doing anything, right? Because what Jesus says, the first thing you do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The first thing you do is be. Be with God. Be with this loving God. That's actually the first step to to godly success. And then it's doing. 
right? What Jesus said is godly success is first in, in being something, in love with God, and then doing something. And here we see it's, it's being in love with God first, and then that love flowing over into actions for others, right? And so godly success starts in the, it, it starts in the love of God and finishes in this action toward others. That's what godly success is. It's, it's, it's seeing how much God loves you and likes you. And then letting that pour over into your attitudes and actions towards others. And last week we saw Nehemiah start in the love of God. Because when he saw this problem that was in front of him. right? We saw him face a problem that the wall around Jerusalem was destroyed. And, and he knew that God was asking him to fix that problem. And his first step to fix that problem was to stop. And to pray and to fast. His first step was to be, not to do anything, but to be, to be in God's, in God's presence. And that's where we saw last week that godly success needs godly surrender. That's the first part of it. We surrender ourselves to God and we bow to him. And that's what those knee pads up there represent. They represent prayer and a, and a bended body and a bended soul to, to God. And so we saw this deep reliance and trust in letting God define our success. Well, today, in Nehemiah, we're going to see that this kind of surrender produces a plan to help others. Because here's what we're going to see today, is that godly success needs God's plan. When our plans line up with God's plan, that is godly success. And so I hope today helps you know if your plan is lining up with God's plan. Well, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 2 and see God's plan. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In the month of Nisan... In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Now I'm going to stop here because what Ezra did who wrote these books is he put these little bookmarks in here for us. And he let us know the time frame of when certain things uh, happened because, because it's important. And here we see this, this important aspect of God's plan. Because we see here it's the month of Nisan which is in our calendar it's about April or May. In chapter 1 when Nehemiah heard of the problem that the wall was torn down it was in December. And so what we've seen is there's been about a four-month period go by between when Nehemiah heard about the problem and decided to fast and pray until now. And so four months have went by with Nehemiah just being in the presence of God in prayer and fasting. Because if you remember, some folks came back to him and reported to him that the walls were gone. And, and so that was his response, was to pray and fast. And so, so from this one verse right here, we see this important aspect about God's plan is that God's plan takes time, right? God's plan takes time. Yeah, I know immediately you're thinking, well, I saw Jesus work some miracles, and man, those happened fast. Yeah, they did. They did, unless you were the person needing the miracle because they'd been struggling for a long time. They'd been struggling for years, you see, Nehemiah knew that, that the work that he was going to undertake wasn't some flash-in-the-pan type job. It was this undertaking that only God could accomplish. And when you're doing something that only God can accomplish, y'all hear me, it takes time. As a matter of fact, how many of you have heard of overnight successes? Right? Anybody? Man, and you see them and you're like, I love that plan, right? You go to bed one day, this normal man or woman, you wake up the next day, a celebrity. Right, but here's the truth about overnight successes. Most celebrities that become overnight successes, it takes them about 15 years of hard work to become an overnight success. 
Right? Like seriously, if you look on the IMDb app uh, at an actor and you see like their big movie, you will literally see years and years and years of them playing unknown characters in CSI. Right? Like that's, that's the hard work. Right? In Angry Birds, have you all ever heard of Angry Birds? Right? Incredible game. They got movies now. Do you realize the company that made Angry Birds uh, produced 52 games before they produced Angry Birds? They were a complete flop. That company almost declared bankruptcy right before they released Angry Birds. But yet they were an overnight success, right? Roblox? Anybody play Roblox? That game was released in 2006. 2006, and just a couple of weeks ago, they had a commercial on American Idol because American Idol is sponsoring some virtual concert on it. 2006, that thing has, has been around. You see, God's plan takes time. Every day, Nehemiah in faithfulness prayed for this problem that God put in front of him. And for four months, he has been fasting and praying, waiting for God to do what only he can do. Well, let's see what happens. In, in, in the rest of verse 1, it says, uh, When wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then I was very much afraid. All right, so remember, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, which means his job was when the food was put on the king's table, Nehemiah got to taste it to make sure there wasn't poison. Great for him, he got to eat all the king's food. Bad for him, because if it was poisoned, he would be dead. Right? But because of that job, he also got this private audience with the king very often. And if you're the person that is supposed to taste to see if the food is going to make you sick and you look downcast and sad in the king's presence, he's going to be worried. Right? Because maybe there's something that you just ate that didn't agree with you and is going to kill him. Right? And so Nehemiah realizes this, this opportunity is, is happening because he looks sad in the king's presence because this problem that, that he's facing is weighing on him. Anybody got problems in your life that are weighing on you and affecting you emotionally and you're praying and you're fasting and, and you're at waiting for God to do something and you've just got this, this weight on you. That's right where Nehemiah is. And his response is to be afraid, which is, which is a, a, an honest response because he's afraid that he could get fired from his job. That could happen. If he says, well, I'm just not feeling good today. Or even worse, these kings of these ancient civilizations, they were a touch crazy. And he could have killed Nehemiah on the spot for not always being, being happy in his, in his presence. Aren't we glad that we have a king that we can come to just the way we are, right? We don't have to worry. Well, Nehemiah didn't have that luxury with this king. And let's look at Nehemiah's response to the king's question. In verse 3, it says, it says, Then I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, uh, the, the, when the, city the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And so Nehemiah responds with the truth. Right? He doesn't make something up, even though he's afraid. Because here's what happens. A lot of times when we're afraid, we lie right, to cover our steps or to make the truth more pleasing to the person that hears it. Well, well Nehemiah was afraid, and, and he chose not to lie. He chose to tell the truth. You see, God's plan reveals truth. 
You see, God's plan takes time and God's plan reveals truth. It's based on the truth. Now, in this situation of fear, it's easy to lie, right? And, 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 and he, what Nehemiah is doing is he's clear about what God is, is doing in his heart. He's clear about what God is asking him to do. And so for us, is the stuff that God is stirring in you, are you okay with it taking time? Are you okay with diving down to the truth of the plan and to letting the truth speak to that plan? Because those plans, if they're based in, in, in God's timing and they're based in God's truth, what happens is it gives you this freedom. And it gives you this freedom to speak the truth. If, if not, if, if you're in a hurry to get this going, if, if, if you feel like you have to manipulate and lie to make it happen, then go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. There's still some surrendering that needs to happen. right? Because that plan isn't God's plan. Now, it might be the start of God's plan, but there's some work to do on it. Look at verse 4. It says, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? And I love this. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, what, what Nehemiah did here is, is, is the king heard his response, isn't going to fire him, isn't going to kill him. And, and now the king asked this, this incredible question. He said, Hey man, what do you need to do this? And Nehemiah's response is what I call a flare prayer. Anybody, anybody, uh, heard or have done a flare prayer a flare prayer is just this quick prayer that you send up like he didn't go hey Nehemiah hold on one second and get down here on his knees no he 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 was looking straight in the eye of Nehemiah I mean looking straight in the in the eye of of Artaxerxes the king but his spirit was talking to God real quick saying saying Jesus I need you or he didn't know Jesus by name then but but God I need you I need you to make this work. I need you to speak through my fear. I need you to move. I need you. And it was just this quick flare prayer that he sent up. And and a flare prayer is this quick prayer of asking God to move. It's this quick prayer of surrender. A quick prayer in the midst of action for, for peace and calmness. And when you find yourself in these situations, these big moments, a flare prayer is a great way, a great way to kind of invite God into that moment. And so if you find yourself in a situation where a prayer flare can a flare prayer can come in handy, you're in, you're in a good, good situation. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this. It says, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And so, so for four months now, Nehemiah has been praying and waiting for this moment. And he knows that this is what God is stirring in him to do. And he's ready to do it. And, and y'all, you've got to understand, this is a big ask for the king. Because, because in asking the king to let Nehemiah go, he's asking one of his most trusted workers to leave. Right? In, in other words, Nehemiah is saying, king, I want to leave you exposed so my hometown can be safe. And that's a big ask anybody would expect the king to go not today but 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 look look at what happens in verse six it says and the king said to me with the queen sitting beside him how long will you be gone and when will you return so it pleased the king to send me and I had given uh when I had given him a time and I said to the king if it pleases the king let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah uh, in the letter of Asa, in the letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber and make beams for the gates and the fortresses of the temple. 
and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And so Nehemiah had this very detailed plan. He's like, listen, here's the time frame I'm going to be gone. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to give me these letters so I can have safe passage and so I can get the wood. Because, uh, you know, price of wood's gone up everywhere, right? So he needs, he needs the king's wood. No, it hasn't gone up there. I mean, we don't know. But God's plan does this. It takes time. It reveals truth. And God's plan has answers. Right, Because when you wait, there's a season where you wait and you're like, I don't know what God's doing yet. But as you pray and as you, as you give yourself time and as the truth is exposed, you begin to see at least the next step. And you begin to say, okay, I don't know everything, but I know this. And this is what Nehemiah said. He said, listen, I know the next step. The next step is it's going to take me about this long and I'm going to need some wood. And I'm going to need safe passage. Can you, can you give me those? And here we see that God's plan has answers. And I'm going to tell you the closest experience I had to this uh, has been leading through this pandemic. Now, I don't, know, I don't know about y'all, and I don't know how many pastors you know and how many people on church staffs that you know. I know we've got people uh, watching from, from all over the nation and all over the world. And, and so, so we have people that are connected to all kinds of churches everywhere. But, but there's one common thread that I've seen in the church world and church leadership is that this has been exceptionally hard on every pastor and every church staff that I know. Every single one, ours included. But I want to tell you, uh, working through this, it has been a special kind of hard for our church staff because here's why. None of us have ever led through a pandemic before, have we? Like none of us literally know what we're doing. But we're trying to figure out and we're trying to figure out together. Like this season has been full of tons of questions that have very few answers, but still plans have to be made. Anybody else feel that? Like you've got lots of questions, few answers, but you still got to figure out what to do, right? Well, let me tell you what God has, has, has been doing in me through this, through, this, through this season. And I mean, he started this the, the, the day we heard about the pandemic. I remember Amy and I talking about greeting. and We were, we were reading articles from other churches about how they weren't shaking hands that first Sunday in March. And they were doing elbow. And we were like, that sounds ridiculous. This thing isn't going to be that bad. What the, we were wrong, right? And then when we made the decision to go virtual for who knows how long, we really thought it would just be for a small period of time, and then we figured out it was a big period of time. But from that very first conversation, what I heard Jesus say to me as I, as I was thinking about leading through this is he just kept saying, trust your team. Trust your team. Trust your team. And so every time I felt this weight of this decision, he just kept saying, trust your team. And so as a staff, we would meet and we would figure out the best possible way, not the perfect way because there isn't one, but the best possible way for us. And y'all, I've got to tell you, every decision we made, our staff stacked hands on. There was never somebody going, all right, I'll do it just to go along. Like, I share that to say, like, even in these uncertain times, like, Jesus can lead you in a way that has answers. And for me, that answer was to trust my team, which is unique, isn't it? It wasn't actually the answer to the problem. It was the answer to get to the answer to the problem. It was to trust my team. And so even in uncertain times, God's plan can lead you to answers. Well, let's see Nehemiah's, let's see what, what his answers lead to. In verse 8, it says this. It says, And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And so the king gave Nehemiah everything that he asked for. 
And so you see, this is God's plan. And it's God's plan for Nehemiah. When, when you operate on your plan, here's what happens. You say, look what I did. Right? But Nehemiah is operating under God's plan, and he can say, look what God did. God's hand was on this king to give me everything that I asked for. That's what God did. And so just like in Ezra, we saw how every holy proposition has an unholy what? Opposition. Every holy proposition has unholy opposition. Here's the unholy opposition to Nehemiah's plan. Look at verse 9. It says, then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river. So in other words, he got the letters, he got the wood, and he, he headed off. He says, then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letter. And now the king, uh, now the king had sent me with officers, an army, and a horseman. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. And so now Nehemiah gets back to, to his land, and there's these two guys there, Sanballat and Tobiah, and we're going to see more of them. And I'm going to talk about how to deal with the Sanballat and Tobiahs in your life uh, later in a different sermon. But right now, I just want us to note that these guys aren't happy with God's plan right now. They aren't happy that somebody's coming back to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And y'all, listen to me. There will always be those who don't like God's plan in your life. Right? You will always have those that, that when you're following God, they're not on board. In the next few weeks, like I said, we'll see how to deal with them. But, but right now, just, just let that truth sit there. Verse 11 this says this. And so I went to Jerusalem. And there were, and was there three days. And then I arose in the night, and uh, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night to the valley of the gate, to the dragon spring, and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and its gates had been destroyed by fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up in the night by the valley and expected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were, uh, and the rest who were to do the work. And so here's the deal. God's plan takes time. God's plan reveals truth, it has answers, and it does this. It thrives in awareness, right? Nehemiah had these answers, and he had what he was pretty sure was God's plan, but he had to see would God's plan even work once we got there. Like, have I been wrong about this whole thing? You see, we, we, we have this saying around here, too, that, that, well, that seemed like a good idea at the time. Right? Where we go through all the steps and we do all the things and it seems like a great idea until the rubber hits the road and we're like, oh, we need to change some things. This seemed like a good idea at the time, but we need to tweak some things. You see, even the best plans with the best answers might not actually work in the real world and they may require some, some tweaking and changing and some adjusting. And as rebuilders, there'll always be this time where you think you know what God's doing until you take that first step of faith and then you get to see. And you get to see what needs to, what needs to be adjusted and what needs to be tweaked and what needs to be purified, what needs to be purified. But it always leads to the same place, because look at what happens in Nehemiah. We see that God's plan leads to action. 
right? His, his feet are on the ground and he's moving. Look, look, look at verse 17. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Which means be made fun of. And I told them that I told them of the hand of my God that had been put upon me for good. And I also and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. And so now what's happened is Nehemiah is there. He's inspected it. It looks like God's plan is a go. And so the work is a go. And so he told the people what God was doing. And they said, we are in. The work is declared and it has been begun. But here we're going to see opposition again. Look at verse 19. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant of Geshem the, the Arab, heard it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebuilding against the king? Right? So, so here's this opposition again. Samballot and Tobiah. And they had this claim that the king said not to build. Right? Now if you remember in Ezra, a king did make that decree. And said that the building was to stop. But if you also remember in Ezra, a later king said, No, the building can keep going. This king that Nehemiah is with said the building can, can keep going. But these guys are going to pull this old, outdated claim and just see if it can stop the work. Right now, here's the deal. Sam Ballot and Tobiah, they're the protagonists in this story, right? They're the ones that, that are up against Nehemiah. And what we're going to see in them is we're going to see the tactics that our enemy uses to stop the work of God. And here's one of them. One of them is that he will use the old ways, uh, the old things, the, 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 the failures of the past. He will use what's old to stop what God is doing in the new and in, in the present. Right? Now, as, as I've been preparing this message, this is, this is the, the thing that I keep simmering on, is the fact that we have an enemy that will keep reminding us of the old to stop us from living in the new. Right? We have one who will, who will remind us of our failures so that we won't take a step of faith. We have one that will remind us of our regrets so that we don't experience joy in the moment. And that's his tactic. Right? He will remind us of the old. But y'all, we have got a decree, a new decree from a king that keeps us in the new. Right? We're not bound by our old sins. We're not bound by our old struggles. We have a Savior named Jesus who, who has dealt with those. And yet, Satan will continue to remind us. You know what it's like? It, it's like that pair of jeans that were tight on you before the pandemic. Right? And now you keep them. Because you just might be able to get back into them. You, know, you need to let those go. Right? When Satan brings the old stuff, you need to let it go. Because here's what you're going to see with Sam Ballot and Tobiah. The best thing you can do with them is ignore them. I had a mentor tell me one time that he goes, he goes you know that, that, that saying, um, uh, every criticism has a, a kernel of truth in it? I said, yeah. He goes, that's a lie. Not every criticism has a kernel of truth in it. Sam Ballot and Tobiah, they've got no truth in them. 
And when you have a Sanballat and Tobiah in your life whose job is to stop the work of God in your life, you ignore them. Because they don't have anything for you. Or you do what Nehemiah is about to do. Because look at what he does. In verse 20, Nehemiah says, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or claim in Jerusalem. In other words, what Nehemiah does is he looks at these guys and he speaks truth to them. The truth of God's plan, the authority of God's plan, he speaks to them. You see, Nehemiah's work and Nehemiah's answer is under the authority of God. And God's plan in our life stands firm under God's authority. When we are doing God's plan, our enemy can throw all kinds of stuff at us, but we have the truth in us, and we have the truth with us, and we can speak that truth to him, and if there's no change, we just, we just ignore them from that point on because we have the truth. You see, God allows us to look at opposition, to look at the old, and to look at it in the face and say, you have no place here. You have no power here. You have no place here. And can I show you another example real quick of God's ultimate plan? When Jesus was, was with his disciples after the resurrection, he was with his disciples for a number of days. And then, and then right before he ascended into heaven, he gave them what we know as the, the, great, the, the great Commission. And in Matthew 28, Jesus said this to them. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is Jesus saying, hey, every question you have finds its answer in me. Right? All authority has been given to me. And so what do you do with that? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, bring people outside the faith into the faith, baptizing them, sharing with them the story of Jesus, and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Disciple them, teach them the ways of this new faith. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You see, that is God's plan. Because it's under, it's under God's authority. Like, like that authority that Jesus said. He said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And he's passing that authority onto them. He's saying, go under this authority. Right? That the disciples have been given that authority of Jesus to come under that authority. And through them, guess who else has it? We do. The church. You and me, we have that, that authority of Jesus that we can come under. And so the, the, the question for us is, are we living under Jesus' authority? Are we letting that, that opposition to God's plan, are we letting those, those questions of God's plan uh, deter us from, from God's authority? Can we let the authority of Jesus rest on us and rest in us? As we ask that question, what are you stirring in us? Who do I need to, what is, what is, what do, God, what is, what is your step of faith for me? Can we let the love and authority of Jesus define our success? You see, if Jesus, if Jesus is, is your authority, I'm going to tell you his plans are often very simple. They may have many steps, but they're very simple. Because over and over again, I've seen him say in your lives and in the lives that I've met with, he's just said, follow me. Follow me. Let's do this together. Because that's what he says at the end of that. He goes, listen, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Come under my authority and let's do this together. And see, and if you haven't said yes to, to coming under Jesus' authority, I would ask you to do that today. 
and to say yes to his offer of salvation. Yes to him, him getting away to, to dealing with your old ways of doing things. To doing away with the power of, of sin and the penalty of, of your sins in your life. And to move forward with him. But for those of us who have said yes to Jesus. For those of us who are Jesus followers. Let me ask you this. About your plans. Are you giving those plans time? Times of prayer. Times of fasting. Are you letting God work when it seems like he's not doing anything? Are your plans revealing truth? Truth about you as you wait? It's awful, isn't it? But it's so good. Are you letting God reveal that truth about you and truth about him? Are those plans generating answers? Do you know your next step of faith? You may not know all the steps, but, but do you know the next step? As you take that step, is there awareness there? That the more you look, does it get more clear or does it get more muddy? Do you have more people asking questions or does it help clarify you and help you know what's next? Does your plan lead to action? Does your plan have a go to it? Does your plan flourish under God's authority? Do you feel like you're fighting God on this? If so, then surrender to God. Does it line up with God's word? Like that's key, y'all. Because remember, God's word is that blueprint back there. Does it line up with God's word? Does it have the the approval of godly people in your life? As you talk to this about people whose faith you, you know and trust, so they're like, oh yeah, that sounds like something God would do. Yeah, do it. You know, are they like, uh, I don't know. Listen, if you can answer these questions, then keep moving forward. If some of them give you pause, then, then go back to Nehemiah chapter 1 and, and surrender and listen to, to God and let him adjust and tweak your plan. Listen and go with Jesus. Let his answer uh, move you into God's plan for your life. And so, so to symbolize this today, we keep adding stuff to the, to the stuff up here. Anybody see what's new up there? Probably not. Um, it's only one thing. I don't have it up here because I couldn't fit it on the stage. It's the hard hat. Because right? here's the deal. When you go to a construction site... Um, and you have to wear a hard hat, typically the company's logo is on the hard hat, right? The company that you work for, the company that's doing the building. And, and I picked that one, one, because I'm having to get really creative to put stuff up there. And two, um, the reason I did it is because that hard hat shows whose authority you're under, right? And, and so I have a hard hat up there with the church logo because that's the only sticker I could find. Um, but, but it shows the authority that we're under. Right? And, and the picture for this is that we are under Jesus' authority. We are under God's plan. Our plans come under his plan. Right? Because as rebuilders with God, his plans are our plans. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we need you. We need you to, to speak to us. We need you to move us. We need you to, 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 to yeah, just to guide us. And Father, we um, need to listen and we need to quiet our souls and quiet our hearts. And so I pray for Brian and Jan as we go into this time, um, Father, that, that they would help us do that. And they would help us hear you in response to, to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.